Andy's funny. Time for the show. Sometimes faith can feel as cold as winter, and it can look as dark as winter too. I grew up in the cold in Wisconsin, so I understand being physically cold. But I also understand being spiritually cold, feeling distant from God because of depression, because of sickness, because of friends dying. I doubt goodness that I see in the world because I see the chaos, the war, and the violence. I feel distance from God often, and I used to fight those feelings, but now I embrace them, and I sit with them. Winter faith has become my new home. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast. The Winter Faith Podcast is focused on creating conversations to promote emotional and spiritual growth through conversations that involve faith, apathy, and everything in between. Let's get into it. Today's guest is Earl Carr. He is a friend of a friend, and he's an adjunct professor for NYU. He um, works in New York City and grew up in New York City, although he's traveled around quite a bit. And I really am fascinated by his life um, working on Wall Street, dealing with a lot of wealth, but also dealing with um, being a parent, being a dad, and being a person um, who is processing being a Christian during this time of COVID, during this time of social unrest, and during the past year of uh, our nation. So I really appreciate Earl coming on the show, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Mr. Earl Carr. I think it's tough for kids that are 12 and 10 because, you know, for now, they're going to church in many ways because, you know, we, we bring them to church. They don't have a choice in it, right? You know, where the rubber hits the road is when he's going to have to have to make choices on his own when I'm not there. You know, and so I'm hoping and praying that we, we, we're, we're giving him the proper values so that when he's, you know, not around us, he can, he can kind of make those choices on his own. Like some, like on Sunday when he was watching the, the, you know, I have them sit and watch the sermon and he's like, you know, trying to like playing with his hands. It's like, you know, it's not, he's, it, it's hard for him to understand, but it, at the same time, it's like, I want him to teach him discipline that whether he can understand all the concepts or not, like this is important because he sees daddy every Sunday watching uh, a sermon and whether or not he continues that, you know, that's going to be his choice, but I want him to see me and my wife watching that. Uh, the, How will you measure your life by Clayton Christensen? Uh, it's in, in it's in Harvard Business Review, but I absolutely love this article, and it talks about how um, what many Harvard I'm putting it in the chat right now so you can see it, um, but it talks about the basic principle that a lot of people who are highly intelligent from an IQ standpoint, what they often do is that they overinvest in their careers and they underinvest in their families, and their faith. And he chronicled this amazing story of how he went to his first year Harvard alumni gathering. And every, you know, first year, five years, and, you know, you know, people are getting married, 
they're starting out on these ambitious careers. And then as they go through like 10 years, 15 years, what he notices is that the number of people attending the alumni events are getting less. He notices around like the 10, the 15 year mark, people are getting divorced. He notices around the 20 year mark, like people have gone to jail for petty crimes and a variety of things. And so he chronicles this article and, and sums up, you know, how will you measure your life by fundamentally reminding um, people that don't overinvest in your careers and underinvest in your faith and family, which is so important. And I've seen that, Andy, play out so many times. A mentor of mine who was so dear, Harvard-educated, Yale Law School. He was a Supreme Court clerk, um, and he was married twice, just recently got divorced, you know, was making over a million dollars in salary. Someone who, like, he was a partner at McKinsey. Like, when I look, when I think of someone who represents the epitome of success, he was a great mentor to me at church. And then, like, his marriage just fell apart, and now he's divorced with three boys. And if you were to ask him, you know, what are some of the fundamental regrets you make in life, he would tell you, you know, I think I overinvested my career, and I was, and I, I kind of lost sight of ways that me and my wife should have been on board on multiple levels. And so it was, that was just one great reminder in, in one set. Uh, and then the second, in terms of, you know, when I think of wealth management and what I do, I, I come back to two verses, Luke, Luke 12, verse 48, to whom much is given, much is required. And then the verse about being a good steward of the resources that God has given you. Because those two frame, you know, you know they, they really guide my life in terms of how I look at um, success and how I mentor other people, younger professionals. So those were the two points um, that, that, I was, that I was thinking of. Let's do that, the second part first. So you talked about one of your things that, like, you do as a career and something that I think you're passionate about is this idea of, like, wealth management. Yeah. And, like, what, like, I think for me, it's like I'm, like, intimidated by that phrase. <laughs> like, wealth, I don't feel like I, I, I mean, in some ways I have an insane amount of wealth, you know, but I don't feel like I have, like, a lot of, like, money in the bank, you know, it's all about perspective and how I compare myself and that to other people. But like, what is wealth management? And yeah, how does that apply to your, to your, your faith? No, absolutely. So it's a great, it's a great question. I think for me, when I think about wealth management, or sometimes another phrase is financial planning. So there's yeah. different ways that you can look at it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's being able to help people who they realize that they don't that they don't know what they don't know. That they they want to know what they don't know, and that's really important because it, it, it acknowledges that in order for you to uh, enhance in an area, you need to get help, right? Like you go see a doctor when you're sick because you you're not exactly sure on how to get well. The same applies to your wealth and finances, right? You don't want to try to do this on your own. I mean, you can, and many often do with varying various levels of success. But in the same way, I mean, you want to work with someone to get a different perspective, to help with, with you know, being more disciplined in certain areas. And one of the things that I've been really blessed with is being able to work with a number of Christians um, who it's not just like being able to give advice, but also tie into things with, with biblical principles. And as we think about and talk about things like tithing or, or things about, you know, how to be good resources. 
be good stewards of your resources and they get it from a biblical standpoint. So that's really exciting. Or, or I can text them a verse or, or, or you know, on, on something or, or a devotional that I read and I know they'll get it. One of my clients is a huge fan, I just recently um, found out, of Tim Keller. And one of the things I did just last week was um, I got a, um, I said to him, you know, you know, you know, we've been clients for so long. Uh, whatever book you you would like to get of Tim Keller, I'll get him auto, I'll, I'll have him autograph that, and I'll and I'll mail it to you. And so I was able to get a book, um, and and have Tim sign it, and I'm mailing it next week to him. And so these are the kinds of things that I really love, and and it really enables you as an advisor, as a financial advisor, um, who, who's working with people and friends and Christians. So it's not much, and it's more than just you know, an advisor, it's, it's like a, taking a friendship to another level. And so that's really meaningful about the work that I do. So, I mean, just thinking biblically, like Jesus talked quite a bit about money and how you use it. And he talked about, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Um, how do you, I guess, manage like financial success with also, the principle of, of, of giving and, and tithing, like you mentioned, and just how Jesus, you know, talked about money and, and lived his life. Andy, that's such a great question. And what's fascinating, when you, you, you really get to know someone when you start delving into their finances. You really get to, to understand, you know, when, when you said that verse, you know, where their treasures are. You know, we, we do this exercise called red, green, and yellow. So, when we go through their finances, you know, green is like what you absolutely have to have. Like, you know, if you don't pay your mortgage, you don't pay, pay electricity, your lights are going to shut off, right? Then we, then we market, we, we, we look at some of the red expenses. Like, what are some things that we could, you know, stop? You know, that definitely, do you need that third pair of, of shoes or, or, or five jackets? Probably not, right? Um, and then we circle some expenses with yellow, which are, you know, um, you know, we, we could, these are, these are debatable. We could, we could, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. But it really gives us a good template to have people take a, take time to, to reflect on how they are really spending and utilizing their finances. And, and, you know, um, where God comes into play is, is so important because at the end of the day, all of, all of this is His, right? He's just entrusted us for a period of time to be able to access and utilize these these um these these gifts and resources and i think of the the parable of the talents right like if you are using your resources well then then god will will multiply these right if you're not utilizing the resources that he has given you then you will see you know resources being diverted and and and, and, and you know mismanaged in certain ways so i i really apply you know um and dave Ramsey um, has, has, has written books about this and, and, and has really, you know, has done a great job uh, in this area. Um, but there's something that I really am, am, am passionate about. Um, and getting back to, you know, another point that you, that you said is, you know, when you, when you think about finances and you think about how it interweaves with family, um, a good, when, when you think about planning, you, you can't just think about finances for yourself, right? You've got to think about well, how do we think about 529 plans for, for kids and college? How do we think about retirement? And so God, while he's entrusted us with these resources, he also wants us to have a plan, right? Like we, we can't just kind of like wing it all the time. Uh, and so that's really something that is, is really helpful to be able to, 
kind of come alongside and walk with people and families as they plan for the future. Yeah, no, it is. I think it's really important, like you said, to plan. And I guess I wonder about, um, like, do you, when you, like, are working with people that have, like, a substantial amount of money, do you think there is more temptation to, like, be greedy? Is it more difficult? Like, does it get harder to give when you have more? Like, I, you know, I think, like, oh, I don't make a lot of money. I wish I made a lot more for my family. But then I wonder, okay, if I did make twice as much as I've made now, would I actually do a lot more good with that? I think I have to be honest and say, or would I just, you know, like pay off debt, but then maybe get a better car, <laughs> you know? Right. I'm, I'm curious <laughs> about that for, for yourself too. No, it's another great question. You know, one of the things, and, and we work with both, you know, accredited investors, people with high net, high net worth individuals. And, you know, one of the things that I've been really blessed and fortunate when I look at, you know, one of, one of my biggest clients that I work with, um, you know, he's, he's European and, and, you know, he has this very prudent kind of mindset. You know, he's very, very um, disciplined with how he, he utilizes his finances. And, and that makes my job a lot easier because he's coming to me and asking me about questions like, so Earl, what other foundations and organizations should I be giving to? Giving to? And I'm like, wow, I mean, this is exactly what I want to hear with people who have substantial resources is that, you know, you know, he gets it that, you know, he's been blessed with these resources and it's not just about, you know, multiplying them, but it's also about, well, how can I help give to certain, um, you know, individuals and, and organizations that really need this funding? Um, he set up a scholarship um, very early on to help, um, you know, new immigrants to the United States adjust to American culture and society and, and to help um, immigrants as they go to, to go to college. And so I was one of the beneficiaries of one of the first scholarships that he gave. Um, and so I, I utilized that through all throughout four years in college. And he's helped, you know, so many other um, young uh, students from from college, from high school to college and from college to grad school. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've really been fortunate uh, is to be able to work with people like um, him and others to be able to steward those resources to other organizations that, that really need these resources. Mm -hmm. What have been some of your, I guess, challenges in this um, career with your faith and, and working, I guess, in this department? You know, so Andy, when I started in this career, um, I started with zero clients. And so, you know, you really are leaping out in faith when you start with zero clients, no benefits, no health, no medical insurance. Like, I mean, you, you know, I, I had a, uh, I was very fortunate. Um, I started, I was able to be given a, a small, uh, you know, salary for two two years. But really, it's about how do I ramp up clients as soon as I possibly can. But it, it, for me, it was really I was really blessed and fortunate because God guided me towards people and and and, and organizations that um, it was a great fit uh, on multiple levels. I mean, I'll be very honest with you. When you work with very demanding clients, um, it, it could be very very challenging. 
Um, but when you work with clients that, you know, it's, it's really that have great attitudes that, that, you know, you tell them once and they, they, they implement like that makes your life so much easier, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's like you, you, they, they, they understand you guys are on the same page with a strategy and goals and how to plan for that. And so I've been really fortunate, um, that I've been able to work and be strategic on the time type, type of clients that I think we would work to, to, together with because I've learned that there are certain clients that are just not a good fit. Um, and that's okay. Um, and so it's, it's really been um, a, a blessing being able to identify and be, and, you know, God has just been a blessing being able to adhere to certain both organizations and clients where I've been able to have a great working relationship with. And at the same time, kind of share a little bit about, you know, my faith, because I'm, I'm pretty open about my, my faith. Um, and I have some clients that, that are not Christian. And I remember one time I had one client who was uh, from Jamaica. And for so long, I, you know, we, I, I would share verses and things. And, she, and I remember she would just say to me one time, she's like, oh, I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I'm totally fine with, you know, uh, the, you know, the things you were saying, because I, I grew up in a, in a Christian kind of household. So, I, you know, but I appreciated that because she was, we were able to come to terms and I was able to, you know, better understand where she was, you know, from a, from a faith standpoint. But, you know, we were able to, you know, work out. So it's, it's been able to be great to work with both Christian and non-Christian and also to be who I and still be who I am in that space. What, what do you think, like, makes you you? Like, what makes, you know, when you say, like, this is who I am, what do, you, what do you think are, like, the foundations for that? I think, you know, it's a great question because, you know, who Earl is, is many ways a reflection of the different cultures and the different values that I've been exposed to from my parents, from mentors, from friends, um, that over time, have evolved into, you know, Earl. And I think for me, you know, taking a stand for what you believe in is so important. And I'll just give one example. You know, fairly early on uh, in, in my career as a financial professional, I had to deal with a situation where a client received a, a, a relatively large inheritance and uh, she had to actually fly back to Iran to to get it because her you know her father passed away and and as soon as she arrived in Iran she got onto her um, computer and she logged onto her account and immediately her account froze so she called me frantically saying look you know my my account's frozen I'm going to be here for several months in Iran like I need to pay rent I've got you know there's a bunch of bills that have to get paid like and my whole like you know all my my bank is frozen. So I called, you know, the, the, the custodial bank and, you know, got both me, my boss and my boss and the founder, you know, on, on the line, you know, here we are and we're speaking with the client and the client turns and says, well, what are the options? What can we do? And I said, well, according to, you know, representative that I spoke to, she, she, the, the representative said that you would have to leave Iran. And once you were outside of the, you know, country, you could fly to the nearest a uh, country like Dubai, they would be able to unlock your account. And so we're all, we're on a call, and she says, "I have an idea. Let's just lie. Let's just say that I'm not in Iran anymore, and that'll solve the problem." So I'm looking at my boss, and I'm looking at you know the the the, the senior executives in the room, and they're like, "Well, you know, it's kind of like a white lie. It's not that bad." And I'm just like, 
and, and you get that feeling inside of you like, all right, this is not right. So I spoke out and I said, um, I'm sorry, like we, we cannot be involved in lying. Uh, you know, it, it, there are multiple implications both for our firm for doing that. And so she said, well, look, then I'll do it. And I said, look, I would not advise you to do that. We cannot force you to do that. But if you are going to do that, like you're going to bear all the responsibility for that. So she said, I will bear all responsibility. So got on a call. Representative is on the line. And she says, you know, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I, I, I just left Iran. I just arrived in a hotel in Dubai. And uh, can you kindly take the, 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 the you know, the, the, the freeze on my account off, you know, just given the sanctions that the U.S. has with, with Iran? And the representative on the line, I'll never forget, says in a very calm voice and says, sure, if you could just give me the landline of the number where you're at, we will call and confirm that you are no longer in Iran and then we'll be happy to take your, you know, the freeze off the account. Now, at that moment, like I, there was like, almost like a, a huge burden that lifted me off my shoulders because I knew I had taken a stand and I had done the right thing. And she felt extremely embarrassed that she was caught in a lie. And not only did I protect, you know, myself, but I helped to protect the firm as well. And so I think, you know, one of the lessons that, that God has consistently taught me is that, you know, if I, if I take a stand for him, if I honor him, with all of the gifts and the talents that he has blessed me with, you know, he'll, he'll guide my path. Yeah, man, that is, I just can't imagine what, <laughs> it's such a different, uh, I mean, I was at a job where I worked with, I guess you could call it financial planning, but it's working with men um, who had just started the workforce after maybe coming out of prison and so it's very, you know, so I guess I did wealth management just like you, you know, just That's a little, right. little different. Um, hey, it's all good. <laughs> but a lot of those same principles still, you know, apply. And, um, yeah, to be caught in those present, you know, situations, but to feel good about your response, like to have confidence in, in what you're doing and like the foundation that your parents built or you, you said like your friends and family built, um, I noticed, like, when you are, like, speaking, I feel like you have a lot of, like, joy in what you're doing and in your life. And so I guess the other thing is I'm thinking, like, what are the, like, what are the things that, that um, give you joy maybe when times are difficult? Like, kind of mm. what keeps you going in? I, I call it, like, seasons of, like, winter faith, but just, right. like, tough times of life. You know, what, what keeps you going? What brings you joy in, in those um, kind of tougher days? No, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. And, you know, when I reflect back to a lot of the challenges I had as, as, a, as a kid growing up, my dad left when I was young. Um, my, my, I, I don't have any memories of my mom and dad holding hands or, or being affectionate. Um, I grew up in a single-parent home. Me... My mother, I lived in a one-bedroom apartment in, in New York City. Me, my mother, and my little sister, Lisa, we slept on one bed together. And, you know, I remember growing up seeing a lot of kids and, and you know, seeing how their, their dads would be at, you know, soccer games. And I, I never had that. You know, my mom had to play both mother and, and, and father. And I think in many ways, God utilized 
that experience to really create this ability of kind of like resiliency in, in, in my in my character. Um, and, I, you know, as a kid, I, I got into a lot of trouble. I remember, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I remember one time in Bloomingdale's, I, 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 I was with a bunch of um you know the the wrong crowd, and I, I stole a a, um, a a cologne, and I remember being picked up by a, a, a you know one of the the um, security uh, people in the in the in the shopping center, and they took me to a, a mini kind of cell. I was I was young, I was like 13, 14, and so they couldn't put me in the cell for for too long because I was I was a minor. But I'll never forget what the guy said to me. He said, you know, Earl, you know, in life. You know, we're all going to make mistakes. The most important thing, though, is that we learn from them. And there was another person right in another cell next to me. And um, he said, he said, you see this person here? This person is from Africa. And he's actually, he stole something and now he's going to be deported from the country. And I'll never, ever forget that experience. And I'll never forget the other experiences that I've, you know, other, other, um, you know, challenges that I've, I've faced at college or, or very early on in my career. But um, whether I was living, when I was living abroad in, abroad in China or Japan, you know, God has always blessed me with two things. One, he always allowed me to have a good church and he always surrounded me by good mentors so that whenever I faced these challenges, um, like, what, like you say, these winter seasons, uh, a, I come to him for guidance, and then he has always guided me to speak to a mentor. Um, my my uh, my my very good mentor Elmer Hu uh, came up with this this notion of a board of a personal board. So this board, uh, and and having diversity on that board is so important. So you know I I had you know African American female, um, you know I had a, I had a Caucasian uh, a guy who who I was you know was from did a PhD at Princeton and was at the UN. I, had another person who worked in the private sector who was born in North Korea. And so, you know, I've always been so blessed and fortunate to be surrounded by good mentors that when I, when I needed to during those, those dry spells, during those times of challenge, I could call upon. So when you say like the diversity, why do you think that's so important? Uh, that's a great question. So everyone has a very unique experience. Like when I spoke to, um, you know, uh, uh, one of one of the members on my board, an African-American female, grew up in the South. Um, and, you know, when I hear about her experience, what it was like to be the White House liaison uh, when we were in, working in D.C., you know, I learned from that. Uh, when I learned about, you know, the racism that she felt, uh, you know, growing up in the South, um, when I when I when I. Um, met with my mentor who who worked at the United Nations and learned you know he he had a PhD from Princeton very different you know came off from a relatively wealthy wealthy family you know I learned experiences you know what it was like for him growing up some of the challenges as well as some of the great opportunities that he had when I when I spoke with other you know I, one of my mentors was born in North Korea got a Fulbright scholarship to come to the United States to experience what he went through you know and and to learn about what life was like in North Korea as a child. I mean, it's like these experiences in many ways, you know, I'm, I'm living vicariously through them. And so, um, you know, I always when I mentor um, both Christian and non-Christian, I always, I always tell them the importance of having good mentors around you to guide you, especially during those, those winter seasons. Yeah, it's so interesting just because, I mean, I grew up in um, Wisconsin in like a small city that was 98% white um and um i did 
have the experience of like living in Memphis for a little bit. Um, well, for seven years going to school, living in Memphis and going to school in Arkansas. And so I had some of that. Now I'm in North Carolina, but I do think that it's really interesting. Like I imagine just growing up, you grew up like in New York city. Like what do you think that like, I, I just wonder how much, it's like exposure and just being in New York city, what that did to like your life and your mindset. Mm. Obviously you don't choose where you grow up. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious if you had any, it was just something I was thinking like, what's it like growing up in it's, New it's, York it's, as far as a, that? It's a great question, Andy. And, and when I think about my experiences growing up in a single parent home, living in a one bedroom apartment, going to high school in Spanish Harlem, like I, Andy, I feared walking to school every single day in high school. I got robbed twice, uh, once in the bathroom with my best friend. We laugh about it to this day. <laughs> um, and I got robbed in the arcade right out, right outside of school. And he was the only person who, who stood up for me. And, but I'll tell you something, Andy, those experiences made me the person who I am today. Um, they taught me the value of, of, of no, being aware of your surroundings, being, being, being knowledgeable. Um, they taught me street smarts. Um, you know, living in, growing up in New York City is not easy as with, as in any kind of, you know, metropolitan area. I was exposed to, um, pornography very early on in, in, in life, uh, as a teenager and, 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 you know, struggled with that for a number of years, um, until, you know, I was able to, um, you know, really accept God and, and became, become a Christian. And, and and even that was a process, you know, when I was about 15, you know, I went through this, you know, very uh, tr- important transition where, you know, when I accepted Christ, it wasn't like, you know, overnight, my, my, my life just changed. But over a period of, of time, you know, I didn't want to curse. I, I didn't have the desire to steal. I didn't have a desire to, you know, want to look at pornography, even though, you know, that was, you know, all over, you know, different places in the subway and, and system. And, and, you know, to this day, you know, there are all these temptations are still very much there. But, you know, God has just given me this ability to once again, you know, he he, he guides my, my my paths. And so New York City in, in so many ways, um, you know, it, it kind of, you know, th- there's a saying, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Um, but, you know, living in New York City, as well as living in places like Shanghai and being able to come out of your comfort zone, being able to learn another language, being involved in a different culture, you know, they they, they create this kind of resiliency in you. Um, I, I'm, I'm always, um, I like to refer to, um, there's an Asian saying that, you know, bamboo bends, it does not break. And I think when you've been through different cities, um, and you, you, you've been able to experience, um, different challenges. It, 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 they de- it definitely molds you to the, the person that I am today. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. It, 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 it like, I imagine you had to like grow up kind of fast, <laughs> faster, um, just with some of your experiences, you know, with your own like family dynamic, but then the city you lived in, some of, you know, experiences when you were, you know, fairly young. Yeah, it kind of teaches you and grows up fast, which is, I think, a really good, a good thing that maybe, you know, maybe times in like Christian circles, we try to not be a part of the world too much. Mm. Um, and I really think like Jesus was 
you know, a part of the world. I don't think he, you know, he went off to pray by himself, but for the most part, I think he was engaging um, in the world. Um, Absolutely. And I, I guess another question that I had is, you know, for your experience with, um, well, maybe I'll ask it this way. Do you feel like the church, like, openly talks about, um, like, faith and race enough? And what mm-hmm. things do you think we can learn as a as a church, whether it's, you know, you know, any church? But um, what can the church learn from just, like, the, the last year mm-hmm. that we've had in our country um, with the murder of George Floyd, the other murders, yeah. to other, um, you know, the pandemic, a, a economic fallout, a presidential election, like all these things that have been very divisive in churches. And I'm just curious what, yeah, what you kind of think. It's a huge question, but I'm just curious maybe what you have seen or what you have learned as a oh, Christian in the last, you know, year or so. It's it's a great, it's a great question. And, you know, to answer your question, Andy, I, I wrote an article um, and it was the first time that I ever talked openly about my faith, talked openly about, you know, uh, these notions of what was percolating in the, in the media about China virus and, and Black Lives Matters. And it was and I felt the need to talk about it because they were such they were so part and parcel about my faith. And it was, you know, in light of the the protests um, that we saw on the streets, the unprecedented large-scale protests. Um, there was there was so much anger, um, and it was. It, and, and I realized that you know, people were just living in their own bubble. You know, people are reading. You know, the, whether you know, you've got large portions of the population that will only watch Fox or only watch CNN. And you know, when 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 people can't agree on what is truth, that's an issue, right? Yeah. And so one one of the reasons why I wrote that article was really to um, be able to share with people some of the experiences that that have shaped and molded me as a believer, but really to have a dialogue with people. And, it, you know, I have friends, I have dear friends who are Republicans. I have dear friends who are Democrats. And, you know, I think being able to have a a healthy, constructive conversation even though you may disagree on the issues, but still be attentive and want to listen to other people's perspectives, I think is so important, right? Because if we're just going to, you know, be in our own enclave, we're not helping, you know, move the the, the discourse forward in terms of trying to understand people. And so um, one of the reasons, like I said, I I wrote that article was in a way to actually be um, true to myself on, on what I was seeing, what I was feeling, um, these values and principles that have shaped me, but also be able to share my story with others and, and get their input as well. And you write articles pretty often that are about like financial Correct. issues. So this article was different for for like anything you had written and published before. Absolutely, and t- you know, typically, you know, in finance and on Wall Street, you know, we we typically tend to shy away from anything political because. You know, um, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we're focused on the bottom line. You know, we're, we're focused on how do we help uh, clients, both whether that be institutional clients, individual clients, like there is a specific goal. And, you know, we tend to not get to, you know, t- you know, in- intertwined into the, the political minutiae. But at the end of the day, we have to be, you know, cognizant that 
there are certain, you know, views and perspectives that have influenced us, right? Um, and so I, I'm highly cognizant that, you know, our neighbors and, you know, I live in a very diverse community. You know, that's going to be very different from, you know, communities in in uh, in Tennessee or, 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 or other states where I have very I have dear friends in Idaho, but I understand that, you know, they're, they're, they're very, diff- very different cultures in these, these other states. And so I want to be part of um, a community and, and part of, and really be intentional about reaching out to different people because in different perspectives, because that's kind of who is made. That's kind of part of who I am and how I was kind of made. You know, my, my dad is black from Jamaica. My mother is Panamanian Chinese. I was born in Panama and I grew up in, in New York city. And so I've always been, of the mindset that, you know, eclectic, uh, you know, having eclectic views and, and perspectives is, is good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think the, the early church was fairly diverse. Like, um, yes. I think that we, you know, not, not only like, do we have like, um, yeah, like people that look different, but even in the early church, like they had different viewpoints on like they had different theologies and they agreed on some things but not on everything and I feel like sometimes not only with politics but with church we think we have to be this we have to agree theologically on everything and I think we've kind of lost a, a spirit of like conversation even in churches which I think is kind of interesting that Sometimes we even have a hard time talking about things like, um, you know, like pornography in churches is not talked about, even though it's like a massive problem. Huge. And it affects a lot of lives. And we sometimes are even shying away from that. And I understand like stuff is taboo to talk about, but I feel like the church should be a place where you can have diverse opinions Mm. along with looking diverse too and i think both of those things should be a goal and i think in some ways we've lost that yeah and um i'm i'm hoping that maybe you know we've maybe the church has learned something in in the past year but i i don't know so to get to get to your question um because i didn't really i, I didn't really answer it you know has the church talk done enough to talk about race and i mm-hmm. think that the, mm-hmm. it, it, yes and no right i mean i think in many ways um, churches across the nation are trying to have a more concerted effort and be more intentional. Um, at my church, we started a task force on race, and we invited different members to have like a six-week discussion about various issues because we wanted to be, um, you know, an environment that was really speaking to issues that were going on in the popular culture. Um, and I know that but, you know, if you're at a very homogenous church, right, like what incentive do you have to do that, right, when the vast majority of your, your, your com- of your you know, your, your church maybe thinks the same way or looks the same way? And so, you know, I, I'm highly cognizant that, you know, different churches have different pressures on them to speak to the issues that, you know, they think will cater to what, what those congregations want, want to hear and speak to. Yeah, it, it's it's difficult. Like I think where I grew up, it, it is difficult to have conversations because you feel like it's maybe not relevant or something. But I think if you just look like historically and theologically, and then where we are in like the history of our country, like it, it I think it has to be important and it should be important. 
And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm hope, I guess I'm hopeful. I don't know. Depends on the day. Um, <laughs> well, this was, I mean, I've really enjoyed this, um, talking to you and, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's always good to, to meet, um, Christians around the world and you've had so much experience. So I appreciate you coming on today for a little bit. Andy, a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the show today, everybody. I just want to give a few shout-outs. Today's music, the one and only Josh Cleveland. Today's artwork and all the Winter Faith, artwork and digital design, Dominique Montaigne. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox. And I am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Winter Faith Podcast. Subscribe subscribe on all those platforms. And also we are on Patreon if you would like to support the show. And also leave a review on iTunes at The Winter Faith Podcast. Thanks for listening and we will see you next week.